When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rocky Cast, a podcast for dudes and the babes who love them. I like that new opening. Working on that theme. For this episode of the Rockney Cast, we are going to explore the month debates featuring Malcolm Gladwell, Michelle Goldberg, Matt Taibbi, and Douglas Murray addressing the following theme. Don't trust mainstream media, be it resolved. Are they biased or unbiased? And to sound like a secondhand salesman from a used car shop, to be honest with you, I don't give a shit about that particular topic. What I'm here to do is to explain my particular and acute disappointment with the one Malcolm Gladwell about his performance because he was horrible in that particular debate. And I think it also teaches us a larger lesson about why so many liberals are so freaking dysfunctional in their in their rhetoric and as to why they've lost so many elections which are actually honestly fought that it is their own fault and is a failure of elementary tools of rhetoric so first off i'm going to sit and describe a little bit about how i discovered the monk debates i don't know what the hell they were I was just on YouTube, you know, having a brew one night, and I came across this thing called Rattlesnake TV by, like, this guy from, like, Australia. And he was talking about how Douglas Murray crushed Malcolm Gladwell in this particular debate. And he explained why. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to check this out. A guy that crushed Malcolm Gladwell. And then he intersperses and explains why. Malcolm Gladwell did such a horrible job. And I've struggled with what to call this particular episode of the podcast, but it could be called Et Tu, Malcolm, Et Tu. Are you the one now who follows the way of the liberal? And have you resorted to their horrible ways in which they make their arguments? And are you too going to use the ad hominem character attacks that so many in the past have used? Yes, you are. And, and this debate really says it all. Um, a little bit about the monk debates. So yeah, so he's featuring the monk debates. I had no idea what the hell the monk debates are. Okay, so evidently, maybe you're like, oh my God, you don't know what you Canadians out there, you're like, oh my God, you don't know what the monk debates are. They're like in Toronto and there's some guy named Doug and he's like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, we have these debates. It's like an episode of Letter Kenny, like is. Labatt's the best beer in the world or the second best. I don't know what kind of accent that was, but the monk debates are evidently a series of public-oriented debates debating the issues of the day. And at the beginning of the debate, they'll poll the audience and get their opinion on it. And at the end of the debate, we'll determine whether the audience opinion changed before and after the debate. And so the topic for this particular episode of the monk debates in Toronto. Uh, was, should we trust the mainstream media anymore? And on the one corner, we had Matt Taibbi, 
one of the most badass journalists, you know, the guy who recently did the Twitter files. Um, he would wrote for Rolling Stone magazine, total badass. Um, he kind of is a little bit awkward when he talks, but I think he's a really cool dude. And he's like my age. And I got to admit, I kind of have a Matt man crush on Matt Taibbi. Kind of like my man crush on Andrew Huberman, one of my favorite biohackers like around that went to Stanford that used to be a skater dude. And this other wonderful gentleman named Douglas Murray. Who the hell is Douglas Murray? Well, he's like this badass Oxford Dawn culture warrior who does all these debates about the virtues of the West. And he's kind of like the successor to like um, Christopher Hitchens, you know, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, kind of a provocative, super badass, super smart, and just a total, total ball of badass. Like I didn't actually, I'd never heard of Douglas Murray. So for you Brits out there to listen to my show, uh, yeah, like I had no idea who he was. So that was on the one side. And they were saying you should not trust the mainstream media, that they're totally biased. And in the other corner, you had Malcolm Gladwell and Michelle Goldberg of the New York Times. Now, a lot of you know Malcolm Gladwell. He's read, he's written, he's read, he's written books like Blink, The Tipping Point, Outliers, all these really good books. And yeah, he is kind of, he's kind of like, I actually really like him. And I'm going to kind of crush him to, I'm going to crush him in this particular episode. So like, if you're a huge Malcolm Gladwell, like fan, just turn it off, total trigger warning, because I'm going to be really hard on Malcolm. But before I'm hard on him, I'm going to build him up. I'm going to go all Stephen Covey, you know, say four positive things before you make an emotional withdrawal. So I'm going to say what I really love about Malcolm Gladwell. First of all, he's very popular. But I would say why, the question is why? You've probably read some of his books. He probably more than anyone else in the United States and Canada in, the, in that particular area, I and mean, he writes books throughout the world, they're sold throughout the world. He is so good at making academic ideas from really dry and boring journals provocative and easily accessible. And he he cues them together with an incredibly interesting story in a way that you haven't thought of before. And so that's why everyone loves his books. And he gets ripped by academics because you're like, oh, Malcolm, you didn't, you, you got it all wrong. And they say squeeze their butt cheeks. Hey, you just you have no idea what you're talking about. Hey, you're, you're just full of bullshit. And they criticize them. And it's like, first of all, they're jealous because no one fucking reads their articles. It's like no one reads their articles. And number two, it's kind of like that Woody Allen movie in the late 70s. I forget which one it was. I think it was maybe Annie Hall. You know, where you get an academic standing in line at the movie. And he's talking with his friend and they're having this debate about Marshall McLuhan. And Marshall McLuhan is kind of this communication expert, like theorist, and he, and he taught at the University of Toronto. And it turns out that Marshall McLuhan is actually standing in the line. So as this academic is debating about what Marshall McLuhan actually meant, Marshall McLuhan is standing in line is like, no, you actually, I'm actually Marshall McLuhan. And you totally got what I was trying to say all wrong. And of course that hardly ever happens. But academics crush 
so many academics, it's crazy. He's making your ideas popular for crying out loud. He's made the fields of like sociology and like psych psychology super popular and super interesting. And I think to look at him as kind of like a journal writer, that's not what he's doing. He's just trying to say on very important questions, have you thought about it in this way? And he presents it in a way that's so goddamn interesting that you just you just can't keep but not read. I mean, like his book, David and Goliath, where he basically says, and this is an interesting thing to think about for all this like little engine that coulds. He talks about conflicts between Davids and Goliaths. And what he says is, is he said, Goliath wins. And, and he defines it as a conflict in which Goliath should win nearly every time. He's stronger. He has more money, more resources. Apples to apples, he should always beat David. But then he says, you know, David ends up winning about 30% of the time. In other words, David punches way above his weight way more than he should. So his whole book is an explanation and an exploration of that topic. And he does it in a really interesting way. Like how did the Catholics of Northern Ireland take on Great Britain? Well, they didn't necessarily win, but they gave them all that they could handle. And they basically are kind of a tie. I mean, so, I mean, the Brits kind of, it's still Great Britain, but you know, they got some concessions. So they didn't really win, but they didn't really lose either. I mean, they, they negotiated a settlement among peers and no one went to the gallows. So, so they, they did earn their respect on the battlefield, as it were. And they didn't do it necessarily in the best way. I'm not an advocate of the IRA or the Provo. I'm not an advocate of what they done, but they did it in a fun way. And they sang some good songs, goddammit. But they did do it. And they, and they nearly fought him to a standstill. And they had no business competing with the British Army. He was this great writer. And so you would expect that someone who is a writer of his caliber, as talented as he is, as open-minded as he is, would be a master. I'm putting some spaces here so you guys can get out of junior high. A master, pause, pause, pause. Debater. Get out of junior high. An excellent debater, what I should say. Uh, and you'd think that he would have had this great response to Matt Taibbi. And he didn't. And he resorted instead to a series of techniques that do occur on both sides of the spectrum. So I'm going to do one series of podcasts on things that Republicans drew that drive me fucking nuts and things that Dems do that drive me fucking nuts. But this, I'm going to, I'm going to bash liberals here because I see this happen so often on the campus all over the place. And Malcolm did this to a T and I'm just going to give you the punchline. He got absolutely crushed in this debate. The Douglas Murray and Matt Taibbi side started at like 48% in terms of whether the mainstream media was, was uh, superior or was biased or not. And ended up at like 69%. So Malcolm got crushed. And Michelle Goldberg did too, but she, I don't know. She just kind of seemed like kind of a whining liberal. And I, I just I was not very impressed. Standards of the New York Times, he's there, kind of low. Um, but in any event, she appeared, she was the New York Times. So, so they got crushed. So the question is just why? And I think this is interesting topic because I think it explains 
why so many Democrats, I think it's particularly in Iowa, are just failing like crazy. And they always have a response. What's the Dems' response? Oh, as they squeeze their butt cheeks. Oh, they just don't understand the argument. You see, we're, we're too complicated. Our arguments are too complicated. And if only we could explain them. But the Republicans, they just oversimplify. And they they just they're, they're they're basically just too fucking dumb that's that's always the argument oh they just don't understand you don't understand no no actually we understand i'm not an academic but i probably i probably read about you know 20 to 35 books of the radical leftist literature i i know it i've got dog-eared marxist capital doesn't make me an expert but i just didn't read the three you know the three pages of uh you know the 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 college professor hands out describing marxism i actually kind of done a deep dive into this shit like so i'm not like i'm not gonna go lecture or write a book on it but i'm not like i'm not a johnny come lately no trust me i get the arguments i get them i get them all i just reject them and the question is and a lot of other iowans reject them the question is is it a function of lack of understanding is it like that article in the 90s what's the matter with kansas What's the matter with Iowa? We're just all a bunch of dumb ACs and we don't know better. No, it is because of the ways in which the Dems use political rhetoric to to win a debate. And it's seen and demonstrated in this um, Monk TV debate between Gladwell and Taibbi as to why Dems lose so many of these things. And if they don't correct them, they are going to continue to lose, at least where they're legitimately contested elections. So Murray articulates his vision. And again, I really don't give a shit about this particular topic, about whether they're biased or unbiased or whatever. I want them to be unbiased, of course. But Matt Taibbi gets up. And Taibbi said that the purpose of journalism is to discover facts, right? And he said the purpose of the news media is to provide information to the public so that the public can make its up its own mind based upon the cool demonstration of facts. Uncontroversial enough. And to celebrate this, he brings up Walter Cronkite, the famous newscaster um, from basically the 50s through the um early 1980s he was replaced by i'm old enough i remember when dan rather actually started and replaced cronkite it's kind of a big deal but then cronkite lived well into his 90s towering figure of journalism and he's often cited as an unbiased journalist in other words he didn't really give a shit about right or left he just kind of viewed the facts as he saw them. at least that's the that's the, the image that is portrayed of walter cronkite and in fact he was one of the key figures in terms of when we finally realized we were going to lose in Vietnam, where it was after the Tet Offensive, and Cronkite had this episode, and he broadcast on CBS. And at that time, there were only three major news channels, four if you count public TV, but I think even the time in the late 60s, public TV didn't really have a functioning um, national media as such. And he basically said, the facts remain that we are going to lose in Vietnam. It's a stalemate. And he was so credible that that was a, not the factor, obviously, but one of the main factors to look at as to why we need to get out of Vietnam. People trusted him. And Taibbi was 
using this as an example of kind of what we should strive for. So this kind of was just a very innocuous statement. And then he then he provided a few examples, as any rhetorician should, if that's a word, of what he meant by a modern demonstration of that and a non-modern, you know, uh, an antithesis of that. So an example of like a Cronkite example in the present day, an example where you fall short of this Cronkite as kind of a Platonic ideal. Look, we all aspire not necessarily to be Cronkite, but what we view of as Cronkite. And, and he talked about then the value of, after having listened uh, and watched this unbiased presentation of Noobs, this is Taibi, that the family could sit around the dinner table and then discuss the presentation of facts and kind of make up their own mind, as opposed to a propaganda outlet. And so it's always kind of juxtaposed the way we did in the United States, as opposed to the way they did in the Soviet Union, which we always called, quote unquote, propaganda. So... Gladwell then responds to this relatively innocuous claim by Taibbi. And first off, he refers to Matt Taibbi as a quote-unquote so-called journalist. And then goes on to basically imply that Matt Taibbi is a racist. And why is Matt Taibbi a racist, or at least secretly a racist? Because he was citing a white guy Walter Cronkite in a time in which most white guys were the run, ones that ran the news the news media. Of course, this is a classic example of two elementary debating areas, errors that no one is ever going to be persuaded except the people that make these basic mistakes. This is a mistake that in a college debating class, you get enough for. If you're trying a case, you don't pass. And Gladwell makes these mistakes and you could say, well, that's just not his area of expertise. He's not a, a live debater. And I, and I think there is something to this. And I think to some degree, I'll cut him a little slack. He may have just been kind of stressed out. But he uses two things. He uses what's called a red herring. In other words, something that's kind of offered as kind of a distraction that has nothing to do with what the other person just said. So Matt Taibbi had cited Cronkite, not to say that it was a time where we should appeal and have only white men doing media, but because it's something we should strive for is saying, let's find out what the facts are. And Gladwell basically implied that Taibbi was a racist because he cited a white man in media at a time when there were not a lot of people of color at the national stage presenting the news or women and therefore making a second elementary um, mistake, calling Taibbi um, essentially, we call it an ad hominem attack. And that's kind of like if you're a sophomore in college and you feel like you're getting kind of smart, you say ad hominem, you get really jazzed up in an argument and you say, oh, you're making an ad hominem attack. You feel kind of good about yourself, ad hominem. You kind of know what it means, but you kind of don't. What's an ad hominem attack? It's just where you're making a character attack and not responding to the argument itself. So instead of saying, like, what a, what a good debater would have said is say, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying, Matt. But let's really look at whether he, in fact, was Walter Cronkite, an actual reliable indicator of the news. And then he could have provided some factual example. In 1962, he said X, Y, or Z about MLK, which turned out to be false. Yeah, there was this perception that we have, but maybe that really wasn't the case. But instead of actually responding to the argument... 
Gladwell basically calls him a racist, like he loves white dudes and cisgender males. And he creates this red herring, which has nothing to do with what Taibbi just said. All he said was, is we should aspire to presenting news in an unbalanced way. That's all he was saying. And then, of course, the question of so-called journalist. So I guess now Taibbi writes for um, Substack. I don't know what Substack is. It shows how much I know. And he also was obviously involved in the Twitter files, which was released by um, Elon Musk after he took over, in which basically he just summarized some of the findings that he had found in the electronic files of Twitter, showing the files. Here are the things. He had his own kind of spin on what they actually showed. But this was just kind of his take on what he saw from the Twitter's files. And so Taibbi just responds to him and says, hey, you're not going to call me a so-called journalist. I'm an actual journalist. I want awards for journalism. The other thing is I wrote for Rolling Stone magazine for a number of different years. And we had these things called fact checkers that checked everything we had to do. So if we made an assertion, it would actually be checked by staff. And if we didn't do that, we would get in trouble. And he also said, so I think that makes me a legitimate journalist. Like, obviously, don't respond to the character attack. And he said, as if I'm somehow racist because I cited someone who, we, you know, who we all kind of agree did present the news in a reliable way. And that just got me to thinking, how often does this occur, unfortunately, on the college campus? And unfortunately, it occurs on the left to an astonishing degree. And you see it as particularly... I was in Iowa City for several years, but it just you just see it all the time where you express an opinion that differs from what people think you should think, and they call you a racist. So I remember, for example, at one point um, when uh, I was active in city politics, I said, you know, I really like neighborhood schools. That's kind of an innocuous statement, is it? Isn't it? I mean, isn't that kind of innocuous? And when I would say that, you'd get all these bleeding hearts that would start scrunching their nose, and they'd squeeze their butt cheeks a little bit, and they start like they they got that look on their face like they were sucking on lemons, you know, just kind of that nose scrunching liberal. And they would say, "You don't really love neighborhood schools." You know who else loved neighborhood schools? George Wallace, the great segregationist from like Mississippi and Alabama. Because you like to walk your school, you are a fucking racist, you fucker. And you don't really mean that. And, you know, and yeah, there are certain times when people get up and say like, yeah, I don't want the traffic, you know, but they just don't want, you know, the development near their neighborhood. So people do use protectual arguments. So I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I, I, I think in terms of Dems, so often they rely on the insult and the red herring. And so what they do is, is they push all of these ideas into the shadows. And you know when they manifest them? When the debate was not able to occur in the college class, you know where the policy takes place? When they actually get power. So then they go to power and they get elected state of Iowa and they're like, all right, mofos, here's what my opinion is. And guess what? I control the purse and you're not going to insult your way and change my mind. And the other thing too, and so I was so disappointed that Gladwell had to resort to insult and innuendo and red herring rather than actually respond to the actual substance itself. And you see that over and over and over again. If someone does something that's negative that happens to be a person of color, 
you are somehow racist if you say something negative about that person. Um, if you say something like, I remember one point I says, God, that guy is super smart. And he happened to be a person of color. And I got this note, this message from this, you know, dipshit it was like, do you realize that's a microaggression? I'm like, listen here, motherfucker. If you're thinking that I call a uh, per person of color articulate is somehow an insult. <laughs> I've been called articulate before. Are they insulting me secretly? I think it's because they thought I'd be kind of like this tongue-tied blowhard that didn't know how to put two words together. I'm like, yeah, dude, you're actually kind of good. Well, yeah, I, I, I did make trial advocacy. Let me, let me bonus my credentials here. I'll see you listen to future episodes of the Rocket Cast. But yeah, you just see that over and over and over again. I'm sure you, you Brits see it too, you people in Canada, Australia, all you all that are listening to this particular episode. Because I think it's a big problem because these debates then don't occur. And I think we can't educate one another about the weaknesses of the policies that we face. And you see that all the time. So, okay, so what would be an example that's used to demonstrate that the media is totally biased? And Taibbi brought up the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, this is a story that I didn't really give a shit about. Um, it occurred, I believe it occurred um, either during the course of the most recent election or sometime previously, but it was during the election and the contents of the laptop revealed a lot of kind of nefarious, nasty things that were on Hunter Biden's laptop that would have been extremely embarrassing to, to candidate Biden. And so Taibbi brought this up as a thing. Well, the mainstream media ignored this as basically a plant of the Russians or basically just total bullshit. And over and over, and to the point where at one point, Twitter, run by the bleeding hearts, actually didn't allow the Washington or the New York Post article on the Hunter Biden laptop. And it, we all know that this, in fact, has been authenticated. The information on that was in Hunter Biden's laptop. And in fact, now I think he actually is suing. Evidently, he had left it with a laptop repairman and the laptop repairman had leaked it. So Hunter Biden now is actually suing, I understand, the person that did the laptop. And this wasn't in the New York Times as a legitimate story. It was based in Washington Post as a legitimate story. It took several years after the election for everyone to basically acknowledge, yes, this is authentic. And so Taibbi brought this up as an example of something that was not authentic or that was authenticated, that we all agree that what weight we give to it, it was actually Hunter Biden's laptop. So then we can argue about what it means is, and in a free society, we should get that information out. If you want to vote for Joe and realize what a corrupt asshole he is, here's the information. If you like that, you want someone that's politically and economically compromised to fight the war in Ukraine, go ahead. It's right there. But it's true. Now, again, what weight we give it, you could say, well, hey, I find it true. It doesn't matter. It's like with Bill Clinton, when we all knew it was true that he got a blowjob in the office, no one gave a shit. And so the Republicans went after him. People knew the information. It was disseminated the, wrong, the, the wide stream public, and people decided for themselves. So how did Malcolm Gladwell respond to this, as well as Michelle Goldberg? She's kind of like this NPR, you know, not that talented, but probably did pretty well in school. And now she ranks for the New York Times. The giant eye roll. <laughs> oh, my God. You're bringing up the Hunter Biden laptop? Uh, you know, it's just kind of like, it's like they have an enema or something like, uh, you're, 
Well, why, why would you bring it up? Now, this would be a horrible example if it turns out that in retrospect, we had learned that it was a total fraud. And then it would be an example of how the mainstream media was right to ignore the Hunter Biden laptop. But it turned out to be true. And so it was a perfectly valid example to raise. And he's basically kind of implying like, eh, there you go again. Like you're bringing up the Hunter Biden laptop. Well, why wouldn't you? Because the mainstream media withheld that from the public writ large in a very closely contested election. So of course that's good to use that as a particular example. And then he kind of implied that Taibi was some kind of right-wing person. And I think Taibi um, is kind of similar, I think, to T Tulsi Gabbard. I'm kind of I'm kind of tracking Tulsi. Um, Tulsi, I, I, I kind of got a real crush on Tulsi. She kind of, you know, I like Tulsi. But I like her politically, too, because she was a big Bernie supporter, too. And I was, I'm going to do one up why I'm not a Bernie supporter anymore, why I was, and kind of her, her, her path from kind of a progressive left Democrat, because there are a lot of good things there. I'm not, I'm not a progressive Democrat anymore, but there are a lot of good things that I still really agree with, a lot of reasons why I've left. And, and her kind of progression from being a Bernie Sanders supporter to not to being a Democrat, to being not being a Democrat, and now being openly critical of the Democrats very much tracked mine. Um, I basically was super depressed when Trump got elected. Taibbi wrote a book called The Insane Clown President about the 2016 election. And it was very critical of just how insane it was. So he's not some right-wing radical, but the Dems have just become so freaking dysfunctional. I don't think he, he's clearly not a huge Dem anymore. Like, I, I don't I don't think he, I think he's not super, um, you know, political anyway, but I think he's kind of on, you know, where the facts going to take me. I think he's kind of gone through the same progression that like a Bill Mayer, Mayer has, I assume, the guy, from, I think it was a Maurer from, uh, HBO, kind of a similar progression. They're still kind of a Democrat, but they, they kind of they don't like the bullshit within the Democratic Party. Um, and they, so they've kind of done that progression, and now they're probably right, except they kind of don't want to admit it. But Cladwell's like, oh my God, I can't believe you would raise that. Oh, I knew it was only a matter of time. And Mick Goldberg's like, yeah, well, we looked this up, and there, there still are some concerns. It's not saying that you shouldn't identify the concerns in the laptop. Just bring it to the public. Try to authenticate it, fact check it. And one of the best parts about it is um, that was like, oh, it's not as if we don't have fact checkers in the Toronto Star. I don't use fact checkers. And then Dudley Murray goes in for the kill. And this guy from Rattlestake TV just lines it up perfectly. And he's like, Douglas Murray is what? He's like an incredible writer. And he's, he's just incredible to debater. And this is where he goes in for the kill. And it's really cool because Malcolm's like, oh, yeah, well. I always use a lot of fact checkings in my book. But then Douglas Murray, like an Oxford educated Don, he's like, Malcolm, I hate to say it, but it's basically universally acknowledged that your section on Northern Ireland was so full of ads. It's not as if you had one fact checker for the whole site. And he just goes in for the, it's just, you got to see it. So it's this guy on Rattlestick TV. It's so good. So, I just thought you guys might get a kick out of it. Watch that debate and see whether you have the same experience. It's the Monk debate, and it's between, basically, if you Google and YouTube, Matt Taibbi, Malcolm Gladwell, the Monk debates, um, Douglas Murray and Taibbi crush these guys. And I think where it's relevant in terms of the larger political debate that we have, the Dems, if they lose in an argument, first, first of all, they don't want to have an argument. No argument. There's never a debate. You can't question anything. You just have to accept. 
And if you intend to engage in a debate, they will, one, shout you down and yell at you. Two, they will try to riot and do a lot of bullshit and break things. Three, they will insult you and inevitably call you a sexist, a racist, all these various things. Or four, they will just kind of laugh at you. But here's part of the issue is that a lot of people in the United States do not give a fuck about the approbation of people like Michelle Goldberg and Malcolm Gladwell. They don't really give a shit. And they're willing to stand up for themselves and fight for their rights as they see it. So I'm hoping that we can get back to the point where, do I still love Malcolm Gladwell? Hell, yes. I love his books. I'm not going to cancel his books. I'm still going to buy it because he's a damn good writer. And he's probably better than anyone else at making a story interesting on very dry facts. And so I'm still, and he, you know, academics rather than scorn him should love him because he does such a good job at making academic ideas and popularize them in a way that's relevant to kind of some pressing public issues. You know, what makes schools good schools? What, what, what are the ways that we should think about that? To get this kind of response, to get people talking about, he's in a really good one on class sizes. What's the optimum number? Is it 12? Is it 25? Is it 35? I mean, and he goes through his examples. So he's very good at what he does. But in this particular context, he gets an F and it should be used as an example of what not to do when you debate. And for Dems, if you even want a chance to win elections, stop lecturing, stop insulting, and stop breaking shit up. And if you do decide to do that, be man or woman enough to take the consequences of that. If you don't do that, you're going to continue to lose every single election because people don't like weak-kneed people who are not willing to stand up and fight for what they believe with. You know, a lot of these professors who love Fidel Castro, what they one think Fidel Castro did that you would never do, he fought. He fought. So that's one of the reasons why I actually kind of like the people that actually fight for their rights on the radical left or radical right or in the middle. Um, people that stand up and, and stand up for what they believe and are willing to take the consequences of that. So, Friends of the Rockney Cast, a podcast for men and the women who love them. Do you like that theme? I, I kind of like it. I'm going to continue to do some more episodes on politics. And for a long time, I wasn't going to do it for a variety of reasons. One of which, what am I going to add to the cacophony of voices? Number one. Number two, it does kind of, you know, there's always kind of the thing like, well, who, who the hell cares what Cole thinks? Number three, for the most part, I really want to focus on what I can control and focus on my stoicism and ignore what I can't control. And politics, by definition, is something you can't control a lot of. But I finally said, I'm going to do more politically related debates uh, because I think it's important. And I think there does come a point where indifference to external events that's so practiced and preached in stoicism becomes a kind of retreat. And I think in this time, in this country, in this place, we need to have these kind of debates. We need to improve civic discourse. We need to have fun. We need to laugh. We need to challenge one another. We need to use the techniques that I think Douglas Murray and Matt Taibbi won. And we need to avoid the type of techniques that Malcolm Gladwell and Michelle Goldberg used. They would have lost a college freshman what could, could have crushed Malcolm Gladwell and Michelle Goldberg. Awful. And yet, 
I see that type of debate used in the Democratic Party all the time. Don't argue the merits. Insult, humiliate, scorn, and cancel. And even if you win with something like that, just a way to do that, it's just such a pathetic way to win. And the reality is, is people don't like it. So it's a likely way that you'll lose. So continue to tune in at episodes of the Rockney Cast. Give me positive reviews. I should be telling you to give me positive reviews at the beginning. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Keep tuning in. I'm going to still do a lot of high quality content. And you're going to love it. And reach out to me, rockneycole at gmail.com or rockneycast at gmail.com. And let, let me know whether you like this new topic. It's, at least I have a topic for crying out loud. Let me know. I, you know we'll, we'll keep working on this to see how it works. And I hope you enjoyed this meditation, as it were, on the monk debates between Malcolm Gladwell and Taibbi. And one, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Michelle Goldberg in one corner, and the other corner was Matt Taibbi and Douglas Murray. And to see them get crushed, and also to get introduced to this, this wonderful person from Australia on Rattlesnake TV. I don't know if I'm doing that accent right, but it was, it was really good. So you'll love it. You'll learn something. You'll teach your college students how not to debate. If you like our homeschooler and your kids are named Abner, like you should use this. Use this in your homeschooling and it will really help your kids. So stay tuned. Infinite gratitude for you to tune in. I know you got a lot of choices out there and keep looking for new, fresh, innovative, and exciting content on the Rockney Cast. Until we see each other, friends, next time on the Rockney Cast. <laughs>